Thanks for watching today at wildwoodchurch.com. Now here's today's message. Good morning, Wildwood. Turn your Bibles, please, to Romans chapter 1. We're looking at verses 8 through 15 this morning. I don't generally bring toys up onto the stage and, and pit, play with them while I'm preaching. So what is this in my hand? Uh, this is a representation. This ball may look familiar to you. Uh, three and a half years ago, we brought a big case up on stage and filled it with 4,000 of these. Each of these represented $200 of mortgage debt, $800,000 we started with in March of 2018. And we set out feeling compelled by the Lord to pay down that debt, which we've celebrated. And this is not another, you know, another uh, begging for applause. But incidentally, this week, the bank did finally clear that out. So officially, we are debt free. But every missional community, every, every group of people that has a mission always has a mindset of what next? What next? Now let me just assuage any kind of fears. The Lord has not placed on my heart a building campaign. <laughs> Who knows, right? What the Lord wants to do, the Lord will do. But as of right now, that's not what the elders and I see in our future. What we see instead is a different focus that impacts the entire world. And this morning as I was preparing for my message, you know, the final preparation, thinking how do I lead into this passage that, and this sermon that I've called Somehow by God's Will, uh, I, I sense that these balls represented three and a half years ago bringing funds in, bringing $200 in per ball to pay off the building debt. We don't pay off building debt so that we can get lazy. Amen? We don't, get, we don't pay off building debt so we can say, ah, we finally arrived, eat, drink, and be merry, right? Wasn't that the, wasn't that the parable that Jesus told of the rich fool who, who felt comfortable where he was and looked around and said, ah, I have plenty of barn space and, and they're full and I'll just eat, drink, and be merry? That was a foolish thing to do, right? So the question is always, Lord, what next? And so this ball three and a half years ago represented bringing in $200 of building debt. Now they represent money going out into the world. Not back into your pockets. I'm sorry, that's not the way this works. But it represents sending out. And next week we'll get into this more. This is a bit of a teaser. This is a bit of a of a trailer of what you're going to hear next week as we unfold for you this audacious vision, audacious vision of sending out, of doing something that most churches will never do, that don't even dream of doing. It represents sending out. It represents looking out. It represents being on mission in all of our lives. So, when you walk out these doors, our ushers are going to have baskets full of these balls, and I would encourage you to take one. And if you are able to, if you remember, if you want to put it in a purse, bring it back next week. It's a bit of a down payment on what the Lord is going to show us next week. Somehow, by God's will, Wildwood Church is going to change the world. Amen? 
Amen. Sweetheart, Hudson. Now, I don't know what this means. I've got a business card, one of Andrew Robinson's business cards on my pulpit. So I'm not sure what message Andrew's trying to, to send here, okay? Huh? Okay. I thought that was a subtle message. You know, I come and stood by your microphone in second service last week and sang with you. And, uh, all right. I'm with you, brother. And I'm not threatened at all. I, I love having you on the platform. All right, Romans chapter 1, verses 8 through 15. Paul said, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Let's pray. Father, you have called your people. Uh, you have set us apart. You have placed us on mission to advance the kingdom, to preach the gospel to all the nations. Uh, Lord, Wildwood is not exempt from that, and I believe, Lord, that you have a special calling on Wildwood Church, and I'm eager for us to embrace that. And I pray, Lord, that that is echoed by all of our people. I pray that you would instill in us a fire, just like Paul, eager to proclaim the gospel to all the Gentiles and the Jews. I pray, Father, that you would help us to go out to the Greeks and the barbarians, the wise and the foolish, taking the gospel of your Son to every person of every tribe, in every nation, to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul says in verse 8, First, I thank God, my God, through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. So it says, first, as in utmost importance, as in priority, Paul gave thanks to God. So you get the sense that Paul is a grateful person. A man who writes 13 letters in the New Testament, and 10 of them begin with a note of thankful, uh, of prayerful thanksgiving. Notice that Paul addresses God as my God. That's personal. He thanks his God, his God, intimate. God is not a far off deity that rules the universe impersonally, but rather identifies himself as Father and desires supremely to be known by his people. Notice, too, that the prayer of thanksgiving was through Jesus Christ. It's only because of what Jesus Christ achieved on the cross that Paul was able to approach God personally in the first place. It's only because of what Jesus accomplished in his death, burial, and resurrection that Paul could say, my God, rather than just creator God, the God. 
but rather he's my God. Why? Because he's been made my father. I've been made his child through Jesus Christ. Any hopeful and grateful relationship that a sinner has with the Father, a holy and righteous God, is made possible only through Jesus Christ. Now, nothing should cause a Christian, especially a Christian leader, to have more gratitude than to hear about someone else's faithfulness. Do you agree? Don't you want that as a parent? Listen, parents, I want to challenge you. Here's free chicken, not in my notes. You understand that what's in my notes is testable at the end of the year, but what's free chicken, that's not testable, so you can just listen. That's what, that's what my instructors used to tell me in, in, in my army classes. Right? And then we would put our pencils down and we would actually listen to what they had to say. Parents, I, w- I want to tell you something, okay? Your greatest desire for your children ought to be that they live faithful lives. Not that they achieve some great thing in the world. Your greatest, most driving desire for your children ought to be that they are faithful. And so if they are faithful, no matter what they do with their life, you can be grateful. Amen? Your compelling desire should be that they are faithful. And pastors, elders, connect group leaders, discipleship triad leaders, nothing should give you more joy in the life of of your people than that they are faithful. Nothing gives me more joy than to hear people come and say, my husband prayed with me for the first time. My, my, my uh, family is doing family worship now. We have stepped out in faith financially, and the Lord is proving to us what the Bible says is true, that He's a faithful provider, and we're believing that, and we are receiving what He is blessing us with. Faithful. Faithful. Brian, I believe that the Lord has called me to full-time foreign missions. Brian, I believe that God has called me to be a pastor of a church, to go into the ministry. Nothing should cause a Christian leader more gratitude than to see other people's faithfulness. Now, I want you to imagine what was implied in this text. This was a group of people in Rome who had heard the gospel in Jerusalem. There's really not much explanation of how this church was formed other than there were people from Rome in Jerusalem at Pentecost, weeks after Jesus' resurrection. And they heard Peter's proclamation of the gospel, and 3,000 people were saved. And so we just assume that out of those 3,000 people, many from Rome were saved. And what? They went back and they did what Christians do. They shared the gospel with their friends and family, and they started a church with no apostolic leadership. No formal training, ordinary people being, uh, being changed and transformed by an extraordinary gospel, and they believed it and they lived it. And they formed this church that now the whole Christian world was speaking about. And Paul was blown away at this. Now, could Paul claim any, any success of this church? No. Because it wasn't his church. He didn't plant it. And yet it didn't bother him in the slightest. 
that he didn't get credit for what God was doing in that church. He saw God's hand at work, and he celebrated. He rejoiced, though he could not take credit for it, though it wasn't the way that he's seen it done in the past. He knew that God was blessing this church and that the whole Christian world was talking about their faithfulness, and it caused Paul intense joy and gratitude. Paul was happy because he was totally fixated on God's will and God's plans and God's kingdom and God's glory, not on his own dynasty. You understand? You understand how difficult it must be for a man who is called to be an apostle and given that special calling and given authority over the church to say it's not about me, it's not about my success, it's not about my name. He even tells the Corinthians, Apollos plants, and and I watered, right? It's God who gives the growth. We know that Paul was a man who said, you know what, whatever God wants to do, let him do it. And I give thanks to God always because you are being used by God to do amazing, wonderful things. Let's continue in verse 9. He says, for God is my witness. He calls God to witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you in my prayers. So he appeals to God as his witness. He's saying, I'm telling you the truth. I remember you. I'm an apostle. You're a church that I did not plant. But I am telling you that I don't stop praying for you. And I don't stop thanking God for you. Further, he adds that he serves God with his whole spirit. In other words, God has his whole heart. God has Paul's whole devotion. He is sold out to God. Now, the word that Paul used for serve is linked specifically to service in worship to deities. Christian service is worship. What we do here on Sunday mornings, that's worship listening to the word preached, hearing the word preached, engaging in discussions, being, the word being taught, singing the word. That's worship. But service is worship. Paul says that he serves, he worships through service this God. Service as worship is not begrudging. Is, is service to the Lord difficult and uncomfortable? You bet it is. But it's not begrudging. Service as worship comes from a devotion in the Christian's heart. As I've said before, it is delightful duty. I think there's much in that phrase, delightful duty. That's Christian service. It's delightful duty. It's not all rainbows and unicorns and, and right, it's not a bowl of, of, of chocolate. A box of chocolates, I don't, you pick the one, right? You pick your cliche. It's not all easy. And maybe for some people, that's the, that's the sense. I, I, I want to do what's easy, and, and I, you know, if, it's, if it's really service to the Lord, then it's going to always feel good. And when it doesn't feel good, then it must not be my thing. It must not be what God called me to be. No, I'm sorry, we live in a fallen world. It's hard to serve. We are selfish people, and sometimes the Lord asks us to do things that are difficult because He wants to deal with our own hearts and stretch us. Service to the Lord comes from a heart of worship. 
And though it is difficult, it is a delightful duty. Paul's service to God was specifically service in the gospel of his son. Paul wasn't just a religious zealot. He was a born-again evangelist called to take the gospel, the good news. The, the, the term gospel means good news. And he was called to be a herald of the gospel of God's Son. And ultimately, Paul was concerned with what? With ultimate concerns. Ultimately, Paul was concerned with ultimate concerns. Hebrews tells us that it is appointed that man should die and face judgment. What is the ultimate concern? We, we don't minimize and marginalize people's physical, earthly needs. But we recognize that the ultimate concern is that every single human being is going to die and face judgment. And the gospel of his son is that sinners, by faith in Jesus Christ, can escape God's just wrath on the day of judgment. Now, what can be more ultimate than that? Nothing. Paul's ultimate concern was the ultimate concern, eternal life, the gospel of his son. Paul continues in verse 10, describing the nature of his prayer. So at first he says, I, I, I've always mentioned you in my prayers. Now he's going to tell us what he prays, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. So in addition to gratitude, there are two things that we want to notice in this prayer. But I want to conclude with these. So I want to skip over verse 10, and I want to go now to verse 11 and 12. But just keep in mind, there are two things that I want us to, to draw out from Paul's prayers. So verse 11 and 12, he said, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Now what is surprising in this statement is that Paul is an apostle. Right? We, don't, we don't fully even comprehend what it means to be an apostle. When Paul spoke, Jesus spoke. That's what it meant. What, what Paul said, Jesus said. Paul is Jesus' emissary, ambassador, like called out special messenger of Jesus Christ. And yet Paul knew his limits. If anyone could come and say, look church, I'm going to come and I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to give you teaching and instruction that's going to set you up to change the world. It would be Paul. And certainly that was on his mind. But notice, he says that we would be encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Here's the deal. This missionary, this church planter, the author of half the New Testament, recognized that he needed the church, that he was incomplete without other Christians. Let that sink in just a minute. Paul needed the church. And he went, or he wanted to go, so that he would encourage them, that he would teach them, that he would pass on to them what Jesus has given to him, but also that he would be encouraged by these ordinary people 
living extraordinary faith. What does that imply for you? What, what does that mean for you? That Paul would be encouraged by someone like you. You ever think about that? It's pretty incredible. And great humility on Paul's part, I would say. Because I can't imagine that a big nationally known pastor with a huge global following would write to Wildwood Church and say, I can't wait to be encouraged by your faith. Right? They might say it, but I get the sense that it would be insincere. Paul recognized he needed the church. Now, the purpose for his desired visit from verse 13 is that he hopes to make his way to the Roman church, not to take it, uh, he wants to go to Rome, not so that he can have a place to shack up while he tours the, the big city, the metropolis. He's not saying, man, I've always wanted to get to Rome. I'm a Roman citizen, love to see the big city, love to see the aqueducts and the Colosseum and all this kind of stuff. So you mind if I shack up with a few of you while I'm there? That's not his desire, was his desire. He says, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Paul was a man on mission. He was eager to bring as many people into the mission as possible. So what does it mean to reap a harvest among them? Well, he knows that there are people in the church, just like there are people in our church, that are here, but they don't know the gospel. They haven't believed the gospel. He wants to come and bring the full gospel. He wants to preach to them. And maybe some people within the church will be saved. But what would happen happens all the time with revivals when a church brings someone in from the outside. It becomes an occasion to invite your lost friends and your lost neighbors. And then they come and they hear. But beyond that, we know that Paul's hope and his anticipation was that he was going to go to Spain and that the Roman church was going to send him there. That he was going to go to the rest of the Gentile world and that the Roman church was going to have a pivotal part in sending him there. He was a man on mission. His driving passion was to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ. And I would argue that this is what Paul means when he says, follow me as I follow Christ. It ought to be your driving passion that, as far as it depends on you, every person on this planet hears the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. He says in verse 14, I am, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Now that phrase, Greek and bar, uh, barbarians, we think was a pretty common phrase. It basically refers to all people. If you were Greek, everyone else was barbarian. I'm not sure that Americans are too far from that, right? There's America, and then there's the rest of the world, right? We kind of have that bravado, that national pride. Well, the Greeks were the fathers of that. There were Greeks, and then there was everyone else. And the, the term barbarian was a derogatory term then, just as it is now. What is a barbarian? A barbarian is someone that's kind of scum of the earth, like, you know, they're fools. He says to the wise and the foolish. These are unlearned people. That's, that's what they meant. Now, Paul is not advocating the idea of barbarians. He's redeeming the term. 
What, what Paul is saying is that the ground at the foot of the cross is level. That whether you are, quote, barbarian or sophisticated Greek, you are a sinner who needs Jesus Christ, without which you will also perish and face judgment. It was more an attack on the Greek. It was more an attack on the elite ideas of society than it was a, a, an advocation of the idea of barbarians. Notice that Paul says he was indebted or under obligation both to the Greeks and the barbarians. R. Kent Hughes wrote in his commentary, citing the example of my son's namesake, Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor was the famous 19th century missionary to China. And when asked, Hudson, Mr. Taylor, have you given your life to the Orient because you love the Chinese people? And his response is, no, not because I love the Chinese, but because I love God. Hudson Taylor, as well as Paul, understood that the debt that they owed to God, we'll call it a debt of gratitude for being saved, that the debt of gratitude that Paul and Hudson Taylor and you and I, that we owe to God for saving us, is remunerated to men. How do, we, how do we pay back our debt of gratitude? By taking the gospel to men and women all over the world who will hear the gospel will find themselves indebted in gratitude to the Lord and will express that debt in service to men and women, Jews and Gentiles, Greeks and barbarians. Paul said in verse 15, I am eager to preach the gospel to those in Rome. They needed to hear the full gospel. They had not had an apostle come and teach them, no formal training, no formal guidance. Perhaps they picked up some things as they would make their way back over the 20 or so years, back and forth to Jerusalem, but they had had no formal investment of an apostle, so they needed to hear the full gospel. They still lacked some certain uh, information and understanding. They were great, faithful people. It was a great church, and, and people all over the Christian world were talking about them, but they still lacked in a few things. Plus, they needed to hear from him if they were going to be the instrumental uh, tools, basically, you know, if they were going to, sh uh, to help Paul go to Spain, they needed to hear from him, right? The kind of help, the kind of assistance that Paul knew he needed from this church required that they have face-to-face -face interaction to bring them on his team. Now, he was compelled to that task. That was what drove him, taking the gospel to the nations. He said he was eager to preach the gospel to them. Paul was a man who burned for Christ and for his gospel. He said in 1 Corinthians 9.16, For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. That's how I feel. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. What else would I preach if I didn't preach the gospel? Charles Spurgeon is famous for saying to his 
seminary students, young men training to enter into the gospel ministry, he says to them, if you can do anything else, do it. Mr. Spurgeon, why would you say that to your students? Why would you not encourage them to enter into the ministry? Don't we need people that will come into the ministry? We need people that cannot but preach the gospel. The church needs men to rise up who cannot but preach the gospel. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. I think about Jeremiah who says, if someone tells me I can't speak, it's like fire in my bones. Where are these men in the church? Where are these men that say the, the highest, best calling I could possibly get is giving my life fully and completely to the gospel ministry? Where are these men? I'll tell you right now that there is a pastor shortage in our country, and it's getting worse. There's a pastor shortage. And whose job is it, church, to raise up men who will proclaim the gospel? It's ours. It's not seminaries' jobs. Seminaries exist because churches failed. Hmm? It's our job. Where are the elders beating down the door? Give me an opportunity to preach because it's like fire in my bones. Raise me up. I want nothing more but to live and to burn and to die for Christ and the gospel of His Son. Amen. Where are these men? Praise the Lord, we're raising up two right now. Well, we're presenting two who have been raised up. We are raising up dozens, brothers and sisters. We are raising up dozens. It happens in triads. It happens in connect groups. It happens in ABFs. It happens in Monday, uh, Wednesday night Bible studies. It's happening, church. But I want to make the call. I want to put the call out. Men, rise up. There's no better gift that you can give your family and your church than to proclaim to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Now I said that I wanted to conclude with verse 10, so let's return there. Paul's prayer was that somehow by God's will, and that, just, that statement just jumps off the page at me, somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Two things. First, I want you to notice Paul's complete submission to the Lord. Complete submission to the Lord. He didn't say, I'm trying everything in my power to make this happen. He didn't say, I will be there next year. He said, somehow, by God's will, I will come to you. That, brother and sister, is a life totally and fully submitted to Jesus Christ and God our Father. Obviously, coming to them had been on Paul's heart for quite some time. He says in verse 13, he wanted to ensure that they are not unaware, that have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented. I, I, I'm not negligent in coming to you. 
It's not because I don't want to come to you. I've been prevented from coming to you. There's an outside force at work in my life. I am being prevented from coming to you. And even if the thing that prevented Paul from coming to them was the imperial edict in 49 AD by which all Jews were evicted from Rome, even if that is what Paul meant by I have been prevented, Paul would have seen God's divine hand in that. After all, Paul is the one who penned Romans 8.28, for we know that God works all things together for good. Amen? So Paul is saying, it's not because I don't want to come to you. God is not allowing me to come to you. Church, that we would embrace Christ's sovereignty in our lives. That we would come to fully understand, fully submit our lives to Jesus Christ. And that the, that the thought of our mind, somehow, by God's will, I will do this. That that's the natural response to our life. Lord, your will be done. Too often, what I hear when I counsel with people, what I, when I'm talking with people, the, the mindset is, not I'm going to submit my will to the Lord, but rather I'm going to present my will to the Lord. And my expectation is not that He's going to give me guidance, but He's going to give me blessing. So too often what I hear is, I'm going to present my will to the Lord in prayer, and my expectation is that, God, You bless what I'm doing. Here's where I'm going to be at this time, and God, I want you to be there. That is so often what I hear when people describe their life goals and ambitions and the way they think. Instead of, Lord, here I am, where do you want me to be? Lord, here I am. Where are you blessing? That's where I will go. Or that's where I will stay. They've determined that what they want to do is what they want to do with little regard for the Lord's will. Or worse, they know, they sense that God does not want them to do that thing. And so they live by the principle, it's easier to ask forgiveness than permission. Am I right? If you can't say amen, you better say ouch. Right? I know that you don't want me to do this thing. Something in my spirit says it's not right, but I want to do it. So what I'll do is I'll go on and do that. And when I get caught, when I face the consequences, then I will say, forgive me, grace, grace. 
What a miserable life to live. Constantly dodging God's discipline. Never experiencing God's blessing of being part of his will. Why would anyone live this way? I often tell young people in our culture, you know, and, and, and I confess that at our church that it's got to be hard to be single here. Because when you hear me talk about stuff, it's usually in the context of marriage. And I, I, I'm working on that. I'm trying to remember that there are people that are called to be single in our church. What I often tell young people who are looking for a spouse is stop looking for a spouse and start looking for Jesus. Run as hard and as fast as you can possibly run after Jesus. And then out of the corner of your eyes, watch for who Jesus brings up that's running just as hard and just as fast and pursue that person. When the thing that you want becomes the thing of your focus, you've stopped focusing on Jesus. You've stopped submitting your will to Him. That job promotion, that move, the next vehicle, whatever it is, when that becomes your focus, that's your focus. And what does Jesus call us to? What's the mindset of a follower of Jesus Christ? Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Church, that we would internalize the words of James 4.15, who said, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. I just want you to see how broad James applies this principle. We will live. What, what does that encompass? Everything. If the Lord wills, I will do everything in anything. And if he doesn't, this is where it gets, this is where it gets uncomfortable. Because we want the Lord to will what we want. Am I right? Lord, please, please, please. And, and we, start to, we start to convince God. We're trying to convince God. <laughs> We're trying to lay God, give all the God the, all the pros. Like, come on. Can't you see this? Can't you see how this makes me a better servant? But what we don't want to hear is the Lord say no. And then we have to say, okay, I won't do that. I won't pursue that dream. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Second thing I want you to notice is the sincerity of Paul's desire. His greatest desire is that the Lord would allow him to go to them physically so that he could continue to preach the gospel. Once again, he didn't go to see the sights. He didn't go because he wanted to be a tourist. He, he wanted to go so that he could advance the gospel to all the nations of the world. You can sense the passion when he says, somehow, somehow. Is this where you live? Somehow, by God's will. Somehow. I don't know how I'm going to do it. I don't know how it's going to get done. But somehow, by God's will, 
We're going to do that. I wonder how few Christians ever experience life like that. Somehow, we live such safe lives and comfortable lives. I know how I'm going to do this because it's safe and achievable. I can do it. But just beyond that, somehow, by God's will, somehow, in other words, if it's at all possible, if there's any way feasible, Paul says, I will come to you. I want to come to you, and if God allows it, I will come. The irony is that ultimately Paul did end up in Rome. Did you know that? But he ended up in Rome in chains for Christ. And he spent two years there under house arrest. And I can almost assure you that Paul did not regret it. Why? He's a slave of Christ. Send me wherever you want me to send me, however you want me to send, however you want to, to send me there, I will go. I live only for your glory. Church, church, to be full of Christians who hear the words of Jesus in Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Jesus, we want you to come back. The world is getting so bad. Please come back. And Jesus' response, take the gospel to the nations, and then the end will come. Oh, we are suffering down here, Jesus. Please come now. Maranatha, come now, Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Take the Gospels to the nations, and then the end will come. Hasten the return of the Lord. Jesus, we need you now. Take the Gospel to the nations and then the end will come. To be full of Christians who hear and heed the words of Jesus Christ and say, here I am, Lord, send me. Alex, not to put you on the spot, what's so special about you? Mm. I didn't think so. I'm just kidding, man. There's nothing special about you. There's nothing special about me. We just said yes. I can't go, Brian. It's not what the Lord has called me to. Fair enough. Fair enough. But you can send. And those that you send, you can encourage and fund and pray for. Amen? Somehow, by God's will, our church will achieve Jesus' calling to take the gospel to the nations. And then the end will come. Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you that you have called us out 
as your people. You have set us on mission, and you have given us a wonderful, wonderful task of taking the gospel to the nations. Help us, Lord, for your glory and for the hastening of the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Hey, thanks so much for watching online. I hope that this message has inspired you to greater faith, has encouraged you, maybe convicted or challenged you. We're grateful to be able to provide this content to you online, live and on demand. If you haven't done so already, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, subscribe to us on YouTube so that we can get this content right to you as soon as we upload it. But you know, we believe that as a follower of Jesus Christ, that you need the body of Christ. You need the local church. And so if you're in the Quad Cities, let me invite you to personally join us in person for our gatherings on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 1040. If you're not in the Quad Cities, I want to encourage you to go find a local church that teaches the Bible, that serves the community, that loves Jesus, that gives grace. Well, hey, thanks again for watching, and we hope that you were blessed.